episode 171 fractured skulls saturday night december 2nd 2023 it's that time of the year it's christmas season aren't you excited bah humbug sometimes i don't know christmas just kind of brings up weird vibes for me personally that's what happens when you don't have much family well, let me try to lighten the mood up for you a bit, because we got some new stories and involves your favorite company, Disney. So let's, let's check it out! Well, uh, before we start recording, you mentioned where there was a topic where you wanted to uh, go over, but you forgot, but then you remembered. So let's get to it. Sunny! I know we've seen sunny days... We've always had sunny days, yes. Tammy Sitch, known professionally by the name Sonny in the WWF, who was the most searched name on AOL at the time, is now going to be serving 17 years in prison for killing a 75-year-old man behind the wheel. And you may be wondering to yourself, well, how did we get to this point? Because 17 years is quite a lot for an accident. But this isn't just any ordinary accident. Tammy Sitch, dating back to 2012, there was one month alone where she got arrested five times. This woman has been a complete and utter mess for a long time now, even before this. Dating back to maybe around the early 2000s where she developed pancreatitis and started to balloon up. And then her partner, Chris Candido, who she had been in a relationship with since the time she was 18, passed away in 2005 due to a blood clot. But there was a period between, I would say, the years of 2006 to about 2011 where it looked like she got her shit together. She looked good. She seemed good. She got herself back into shape. She was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2011. Everything seemed great. But then all of a sudden in 2012, it just took a turn for the worst. So the problem is, is that she was constantly getting hit with DUIs left and right. It got to a point where even with a suspended license... It didn't matter. She'd still get behind the wheel, get drunk, and then start driving, and then get caught. It was to a point where this woman was a ticking time bomb. And sure enough, she rear-ended a 75-year-old man while under the influence, again, killing this man. And it's not like this man, it's supposedly, from what I heard, this man was in very good health at 75 years old. So it's not like he was on his deathbed already. Even if he was, wouldn't justify the death. It got to the point where they wanted a harsh punishment for her because it was clear as day with all the plethora of chances that she was getting to get out of jail free cards that she was getting. She wasn't learning her lesson. So I can't remember exactly what it was because one of them one of the charges she got 10 and a half years and the other charge was seven years i think one of them was uh involuntary manslaughter and one was uh dui with a suspended license or some shit like that and two of those years has been already been served 
while she has been in prison because she was uh, released on bond and then six days later the bond was revoked because they felt like she was just going to get behind the wheel again because she has proven that she is untrustworthy. So she ended up with 17 years. And I feel no sympathy for this woman. Absolutely zero. Any person that's defending her, go fuck yourself. This woman has gotten so many chances that regular Joe Schmoes like you and I would never get if we committed the same exact act that she got. But because she's Sonny, because she's Tammy Sitch, because she was once a famous pro wrestling star, that is, the fact that that is what gets her out of jail is ridiculous to me because it showed that she had little regard for the amount of chances that she had to get her shit straight. So now she can serve it in prison up until she's in her mid-60s. I mean, this this has been a long time coming. She should have been in jail years ago. And we kept saying, well, it's just only a matter of time before someone ends up getting hurt or worse, killed. And unfortunately, that's happened here. I hope she serves the entire 17 years. I think I think they said she may be, she might be up for parole, possibly I, uh, after ten years or something like that. Well, no, she has to serve the fifteen years because this was in Florida. There is no parole in this, and okay. after the fifteen years, she has to serve eight years probation. Okay. The fact that somebody had to die before the fucking police of any regard could do anything about this. The fact that she had been caught several freaking times and she got this, a slap on the wrist. It boggles my mind that we had to get to the point where she killed a 75-year-old man. Now, some could argue, and I don't think it's a plausible argument, but I can hear somebody arguing, well, it was a 75-year-old man. Oh, it's not that bad. The guy was 75. He was going to drop any day now anyway. Big but deal. But now, could you imagine if she killed a child? That's where we were getting to this point. Because nobody wanted to do anything about it. They wanted to just wipe their hands clean or say, well, it's Sonny. It's Sonny. She's Sonny. I don't fucking know. I don't know what it was about her that they just kept saying to themselves, cool, we'll, we'll let it go. I have no sympathy for this woman. And I have no sympathy for the, the policemen involved on this because you had so many opportunities to put the woman in her place before she hurt somebody. And look what happened. She not only hurt somebody, she killed that person. And now the family of said person has to live the rest of their lives knowing that this husband, brother, father, grandfather, son, what, uh, not son, I mean, 75, but this individual who has friends and family could not go to his funeral knowing that he went to bed one day, dying of old age, was able to live a successful life. No, they had to go to his funeral because he was either on his way home from someplace or on his way to visiting family or friends or on his way to work, wherever the hell he was. And he was at a stoplight and his life was abruptly halted because this woman here given so many chances to get her shit together still had to drive under the influence with a suspended license knowing full well that she's not supposed to be behind the wheel even if she's sober she had a complete disregard of the rules so 
that little pity party speech that she cut right before she got sentenced. And she didn't even plead guilty. She pled no contest, which virtually means that she's not admitting guilt, but she's willing to accept whatever punishment that she's going to be given. That's what that means. Because if she pleads guilty, that means she's admitting fault, which means a lighter sentence as opposed to if she pleads innocent and then she is founded guilty, then she's going to get the harshest sentence. Pleading no contest just means I don't admit guilt, but hey, give me what you're going to give me anyways. Hit me with your best shot. Unfortunately, Shawn Michaels didn't hit her with her best shot in, in the fucking eye. That's what he should have done and blinded her. So that she couldn't fucking get behind the wheel. All I'll say is this. Shawn Michaels did dodge a bullet by not marrying that woman. I feel like everyone did. Well, except for Chris Candido. I I don't know why he stuck with that woman. Anyway. She's in jail. I'm just happy she's off the streets. She's away from society. So she's locked away. Can finally uh, do her time. That she's been... Uh, again, this should have been done a long time ago. It's unfortunate that it's come to this. That's not, yep. as you just said, something like this had to happen for them to say, all right, we got to really put our foot down on this girl. Yeah. And she's a narcissist. It's that's, oh, yeah. The best way to describe it does not have the ability to have empathy of others. Can only have empathy for her own self. Well, we move on to our next news stories. Well, Bruce Campbell confirms more Evil Dead movies are coming. And I quote, probably more like every two to three years now, rather than every ten years. Are really? you excited, Monoxide? Hey, I'm interested, but first off, he's going to be a part of them? As a producer. Oh, so he's not acting in any of them. Uh, it doesn't look like it so far, but who knows? I mean, they may they may have to. I mean, the last one, I mean, we, we weren't too crazy about it. But financially, no. it was it was a big success. Why? Hated that movie. It was stupid. It was a terrible. It was even worse than the one that came out in 2013. <laughs> That's how bad it was. And and what made them precipitate wanting to make this movie to begin with when they canceled Ash versus Evil Dead? Oh, I guess I feel that maybe Evil Dead works better on the big screen as a one-off movie instead of a TV series. Even though I thought the TV series was a lot of fun, they just have very low ratings. But you could, oh, you could have always made that argument with Evil Dead movies. They were never really a, a they weren't financial smash hits, except this last one. Well, the thing with the last one that really bothered me was that it was way too serious, and it didn't do good at being serious. It was terrible. You you wanted more dark humor, campy. Well, that's what the Evil Dead series really got its cult following. Even though the first movie wasn't that way, it was more serious. It was the innovative ways that Sam Raimi was able to accentuate some of the horror elements with the limited budget that he had and the limited resources he had to get to what he needed for that movie. And it if you really think about it, would you say the first Evil Dead kind of opened that door to the 80s horror movies that had become so accustomed to what we know? Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, I would say Evil Dead was the inspiration to what we saw in the 80s. Because I'll definitely agree with uh, Mario over there that the 80s was the best time for horror movies. 
Well, yeah, that, that was definitely horror was definitely at its peak. I mean, because you had you had the horror characters, the Freddy, the Jason. Um, that, I guess my Michael too, but that was definitely more Freddy and Jason turn because they had the most sequels. And technically, Michael came out in the seventies. Yeah, the late seventies. Yeah. Yeah. But he so, uh, he kind of the Halloween was kind of they kind of laid the floorboard. Hmm. Yeah. And I think Jaws came out in eighty. Um, At least child, sequels, yeah. Child's Play. Child's Play. He came out in the late eighties. Yep. We got Chucky. Uh, of course, Hellraiser. I may have came out that same year. I don't know. I think that was eighty-seven. But yeah, Hellraiser one and two. Yeah, eighties. Eighties was the time, and, and a shit ton of slasher films that came out during those time periods as well. So that that's that that was the era. But with this new Evil Dead movie. It just didn't work for me, brother, man. It was just not good. I, I was actually bored most of it, too. <laughs> and I I use this as my argument point, but when you have a movie where I'm more concerned with what gender the fucking two people are, that's a sign of a disaster of a movie. Because I'm more concerned with who do I identify these people with so I don't get canceled and I don't use the wrong fucking pronouns. Do you think demons use, use pronouns? Who the fuck? Oh, no, there are shirts during that Target uh, abysmal crap from several months back. Satan's respects, Satan respects pronouns or some shit. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like when COVID first came out, when COVID was really shutting shit down. There was a meme that said, uh, Shao Kahn has canceled the Mortal Kombat tournament. He cares for the health and safety of his fighters. <laughs> Jesus Christ almighty. And and the fact that Satan would respect pronouns. He's like, you know what? I'm damning you to hell for killing people. I'm going to damn you for robbing, not believing in God. But, dude, I will never disrespect your pronouns, okay? I'll never go that far. Yeah, that's taking it too far. You can't get There's no coming back. Yeah, no coming back. I mean, you could fucking commit genocide all you want. And you're going to be burned in hell, but I will never disrespect what gender you are. Yeah, sure. Like, even Satan wouldn't even go to the realms of disrespecting a gay person's feelings. Or trans, or whatever. Well, our next news story, Eli Roth confirms he's working on a new Hostel and Cabin Fever movies. New in what sense? Like a sequel or a remake? Uh, doesn't verify here. There is a YouTube link. I didn't, I didn't watch the YouTube video, but... I mean, we've had Cabin Fever. We reviewed it. We had Cabin Fever movies. There's like, I know they did a remake, which we haven't touched upon yet. But we haven't touched any of the Hostel films yet, and... I think there's like three of those. The, the original, the sequel, and I think there's, there's yeah. a third one as well. There is. I've seen all three of them. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to those eventually. Um, I guess. I mean, Eli Roth, he tried to expand to be like more of a mainstream director... That really didn't work out for him. I know he did the Death Wish remake. I know a lot of people didn't like. He did that other film, The House with the Clock on its Walls or some shit with Jack Black. Um, Eli's style just wouldn't mesh well with mainstream. He's just... The way he does his horror movies is the same way that Rob Zombie was doing House of a Thousand Corpses. It's just not going to be a movie that most people can watch. It's because it's very unsettling. Mm -hmm. It's... 
it's for a very specific audience. It's for like guys like you and myself that can handle those types of movies, or at least are willing to try and handle it. Um, but people who can handle it, 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 it's in the same vein of um, when Quentin Tarantino was talking about this, I think on Joe Rogan's podcast, he talked about when he was doing Reservoir Dogs, he was, I think it was Harvey Weinstein that brought it up to him. Uh, your movie can be watched by anybody, but referring to the scene where Mr. Blonde has the cop tied up to the chair and he cuts his ear off. That scene, unfortunately, women are not going to want to watch that. They're going to be repulsed by it. And so you've alienated that audience. You may want to cut that out. And he's basically like, well, and keep in mind, this was Quentin Tarantino before he was famous. Reservoir Dogs was his first director film. He's like, well, this is the movie. This is the scene. I'm not taking it out. And Harvey Weinstein just sat there and basically said, okay, I'm leaving the scene in. I'm going to let them know that I allowed you to let the scene in. And sure enough, the scene stayed. And I think Reservoir Dogs was moderately successful, but it was nowhere near the success that Pulp Fiction was. But that's a whole other topic for a whole other day. But that's the point I'm trying to make is that movies that Eli Roth likes to make are too unsettling for most audiences. Even though nowadays you've got like Walking Dead, that's like a big mainstream success and it's got gore and, a, and Game of Thrones, I guess. But keep in mind, we're talking about early 2000s Eli Roth. Yeah. Different time, different place. It seems like he's going back to his roots, doing what, you know, what made him stand out, hostile, cabin fever. And with his new Thanksgiving movie, he's already working on a sequel. They're going to, 2025 is going to be Thanksgiving too. Well, good luck to him. I, I'm not really hated his work. Uh, we did touch up on cabin fever. I think I remember saying it was a decent movie, or at least it has a soft spot with me because I saw it. When I was young, I think we did not like the sequel. It was the sequel that we were just like, this didn't need to exist. Wait, because the sequels, it never should have been a, a franchise. They were trying to franchise it. I'm like, well, Cabin Fever? Yeah. And of course, and I think, they, all went, they all shit the bed with those. Especially that third yeah. one. The Hostel movies, same thing. Like, the first movie was, well, I guess we'll save it for when we get to those movies. I'll save my opinions because we haven't gotten to those yet but yeah yeah e eli Roth is a, like i said is an interesting director because his style from what i've seen with cabin fever and hostile he's kind of like uh yeah he really challenges the audience and their uh wit to be able to watch some of the unsettling scenes in his movies yeah, it's almost like trying to watch a death match, and you're trying to get this style of wrestling over with a mainstream crowd. And yeah. for the most part, you might get some, but the majority will be like, ah, I don't want to see that. Exactly. It's it's a niche of a product. Although, again, now nowadays with Walking Dead being popular, Game of Thrones, I think more people are susceptible to gore, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Yeah, I, th I think they are, but I like you know. But obviously, but I still think there are limits. I mean, because like, people don't mind gore, but will they watch a scene where, where uh, even from the first Hostel movie, the scene with the eyeball? Yeah, well, that scene was because 
it wasn't just an eyeball. They panned to that scene and let it drag out. It's not like just a one and done quickie wham bam thank you man. That scene goes on. Yeah, because it's supposed to sell how uncomfortable <laughs> this thing is. What yeah. Do, yeah. So that's enough. Same thing with like let's say Last House on the Left, which we talked about on here. There's a rape scene, which is pretty unsettling. So yeah, it. If he's going to go with another hostel and another cabin fever, we'll have to wait and see because we don't even know if it's going to be a remake or just a follow up. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a remake, at least with hostel. I don't know. It's, well, we'll just have to see. Yeah, because the third hostel, I can't remember what year that came out. 2010 ish, I think. So I, I think it was like straight to on demand. I, I don't think it got a theatrical release. I think you might be right on that. Um, but the first two, because I know I saw the first one in theaters. The second one, I think I just watched on LimeWire or something when that was still a thing. I think I got it through Redbox. Oh my God, does Redbox still exist? I think they do. At your local 7-Eleven. My local 7-Eleven doesn't carry Redbox. I know the 7-Eleven carries... by uh, Anthony Get Going does. Oh, see, now I got you saying, Anthony, get going. I don't say You're it like that. I said it just for that one time. I don't say it on casually. Yeah, well. He's going to hear this, and then he's going to be like, oh, God, I fucking hate Steve for coming up with that. Oh, yeah. You made an enemy out of him with that. <laughs> All right. Well, then I'll make sure next time we get him on this podcast, the first thing I'm going to be like is, hey, Anthony, get going. Anthony, we have a new show. Let's get going. Yeah. Instead of, let's check it out. Hey, let's get going. <laughs> well, we're going to move on with our news stories. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone saw what happened, uh, what was said from Elon Musk at the New York Times Deal Book Summit interview that he did with uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin. I believe he works at uh, CNBC, one of their news shows. And they, I think they usually do this like every year with all like the big media corporation guys all the ceos of the interview and they just talk about their career or whatever really for the most part nothing happens here nothing crazy you're not gonna get like no will smith slapping chris rock type moment on these things it's just it's just like a business thing but um they interview elon musk recently a lot of uh corporations have been pulling their ads off of a twitter or x whatever over because of what e elon musk said something and I think they said it was like anti-Semitic or some shit, but it really wasn't. And Elon even explained himself what it, what he meant by it. And by that point, it didn't matter, even though he was he did apologize if he ever offended. I, I'm not really sure what he said, but by that point, though, they all they already made up their minds that they're not going to advertise on X, even if he did apologize or not, because that's usually how this works. So um, they interviewed him on this thing. Um, I think I think uh, Bob Iker was at this interview as well. He was his interview right before Elon Musk came up. And they talked about how um, basically they feel like, like, how do you feel that? Um, well, I'm just going to play the clip. Public perception that and you're clarifying this now, um, but there's a public perception that that was part of a apology tour, if you will. That this had been said online. There was all of the criticism. There was advertisers leaving. We talked to Bob Iger I hope today. They stop. You hope uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? 
If, if somebody's gonna try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go f yourself. But go f yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. Hey, Bob, if you're in the audience. Well, well let me ask you then. That's how I feel. Don't advertise. I'll uh, stop it right there. So uh, this is like the definition of having fuck you money where you could say that kind of things. <laughs> Look, this goes back to what I said on a previous episode. Because you mentioned just before you played that clip. He said something that was perceived as anti-Semitic. He apologized and they wouldn't accept his apology. They're going to pull out, right? This is exactly the pinpoint moment that I'm explaining to people when they say, oh, it's, not, it's not cancel culture, it's accountability culture. We're just holding people accountable for their actions. No, it's fucking cancel culture. Thousand, I'm going to sound like a complete and utter fucking prick because this is the areas in me. It is factually 1000% you can't argue with it because you are 1000% wrong it is factually cancel culture why because if it's accountability culture you would have accepted his apology you would have said okay learn from it in the future and understand that that's not acceptable if he's going out there and apologizing for his said behavior and you're still going to hold him to the same uh, precedent as if he didn't apologize and felt he was right in his claims and then pull out your advertisement, then you can't sit there and say it's accountability culture because you're going out of your way to try and hurt the man. So. To say it's not cancel culture, it's accountability culture, you are 1,000% factually wrong. You can't argue against this. It is cancel culture. I don't I don't understand how I, I can make this any more clearer. Because to go out of your way to make sure that the man who probably didn't say anything really anti-Semitic, you just wanted to dig deep into something that he said... And make it much worse than what it actually is because you have this obsession against him. It just blows my fucking mind. And yes, the problem with Twitter for many years when it was under Jack Dorsey was that it was a cesspool for liberals to go ahead and try and cancel people. And that's what they did. Thank God that Elon Musk took it over because now it feels like now more ideas are being spread across the platform and it's not just one fucking idea if disney wants to pull out because i heard they're one of the the companies that tried to pull out because didn't he say go fuck yourself to bob Iger? well he said go fuck yourself basically to all the advertisers not just disney it was disney paramount apple um all um comcast all these all these major media outlets are have pulled out of twitter or x whatever and I mean, at the end of the day, is this going to hurt Twitter's business? Absolutely. But they won't, you see, they all want to make an example out of Elon Musk. They're all painting him to be the bad guy. It's Elon. He's the bad guy in all this. But what Elon is doing is that he is expressing the First Amendment. Okay, he's he has a backbone to these people. He's not going to, quote, bend the knee. That's what they want him to do. 
They want him to be like them. They hate Elon Musk. They hate that app so much because of the freedom of speech. Because before, prior to Musk, you're, you can take all that down. They don't like the fact that how all these people are criticizing them. They hate that shit. There's more to this interview. I'll play it in a few short moments. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, at the end of the day, this is Elon's company. He's going to do what he wants. Yeah, and people don't realize when people of power, like Elon Musk, go up to other corporations who have just as much power, who try to wield that power around, and then Elon Musk sticks a middle finger in his face because he has the power to be able to do so without much consequence, people are going to resonate with people like that. Gee, sounds kind of familiar. Where have I seen this before? I don't know. Some The color orange seems to enter my brain when I think of something like this. And, uh, yeah. and the number... Number 45 also resonates. <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> the same guy that went out on a whim and said, you know, mom and dad are looking down saying, son, what happened? We're so proud of you. <laughs> this man is so fucking great. I'm telling you. Oh, that's dog. Let me play more of this. Please. By the way, once Elon Musk said that, the the interview guy was like speechless. He was so shocked. He didn't know how to follow that up. Because again, no one has ever said that on a major platform. You know, go fuck yourself. And to a bunch of uh, spineless CEOs that think that they could just go ahead and be like, well, if you don't play my arms, you don't just—I don't have to take this. I'm going home. All right, let me—I'm <laughs> going to play more of this. Actually, what what this advertising boycott is uh, is is going to do? It's it's going to kill the company. And you think that the company? Uh, but and the whole world will know that those advertisers killed the company, and we will document it in great detail. But there are those advertisers. I imagine are going to say they're going to say we didn't kill the company. Oh yeah. They're going to say tell it to tell it to Earth. But they're going to say that they're going to say, Elon, that you killed the company because you said these things and that they were inappropriate things and that they didn't feel comfortable on the platform. Right. That's see, that's and, what and they're going to say. And let's see how Earth responds to that. So, OK, this, then this goes back to we'll, the, we'll both make our cases. Right. And we'll see what the outcome is. What are the economics of that for you? I mean, you, you have enormous resources, so you can actually keep this company going for a very long time. Would you keep it going for a long time if there was no advertising? I mean, if the company fails because of an advertiser boycott, it will fail because of an advertiser boycott. And that will be what bankrupted the company, and that's what everybody on Earth will know. But what do you think, then, of the... This goes back to the idea of trust, though. Then it'll be gone. And it'll be gone because of an advertiser boycott. But but you recognize that some of those people are going to say that they didn't feel comfortable on the platform. And I, I, wonder, I just wonder and ask you and think about that for a Tell second. Tell it to the judge. But the, but the judge is going to be... Uh, the judge is the public. There it is. That's the line. The judge is the public. Let the people decide. And you think that the public is going to say that, that Disney is making a mistake? Yes. And they're going to boycott Disney? They already are. 
The numbers don't lie. Just look at the box office. Yeah, just use your Scott Steiner math. Numbers don't lie. Yeah, it's at the, really... at the end of the day, he's not going to let these companies blackmail him. And and because, I mean, blackmailing is like evil. Just like what ESG is doing right now to these companies is evil. It's basically blackballing them. If you don't fall by our rules, you're, you know, your, your score is going to go down and we're going to make sure these other companies don't work with you. That's blackmailing. That's bullying. And not only that, you're bullying them into a lose-lose situation. It's either lose their ESG scores to where they can't work with other companies and then they lose money in the long run, which could cripple the company, or advertise these products that you know the public is going to revolt against and you make no money and it cripples your company. So either way, your company is crippled. It's like being put into a corner by two individuals. One's got a gun and one's got a knife and you got to choose which way you want to die. Simple as that. It's unfortunately, it's going to take a guy like Elon Musk who owns everything. He owns Tesla. He owns SpaceX. He now owns Twitter. He's got the boring company. He's got Neuralink. He's got all these different things. That he pretty much owns. He's probably one of the most successful people in this country right now. It takes a guy like this person to be able to say, go fuck yourself. Because realistically, the power should be beholden amongst the customer that is using the app. On whether X is successful. Not these advertisers. That That's the whole problem with YouTube. Was that the whole gimmick of YouTube was... You, the average person, could use this app to upload videos. And you can upload these videos and become successful at it. Now, while the success isn't as great as it is now when you've got people like Mr. Beast, PewDiePie, etc., etc., there still was an avenue to become successful without any machine backing you up. You can be able to go on that app and be able to make some sort of success on that website that could theoretically leave an impact. But once YouTube sold its soul to the devil by selling it to Google, and then Google started to expand upon it, and now all these corporations joined YouTube, the old joke is it's no longer YouTube, it's them tube. Because now... All these corporations stranglehold all the independent creators to where now the independent creators, they have to work maybe quintuple the amount that they did back in 2007, 2006, when the website was still popping its cherry in the internet phase and maybe get even a quarter of the views that they that you could have gotten back in 2007, 2006, etc. It's crazy to me, but yeah, no, now it's no longer... A matter of what the customer wants it's what the the ceos of these companies want it's what they want who cares about what the customer wants yeah it's what we want we're going to shove our leftist progressive views on you if you don't like it then that's your fault you're the enemy you're misogynist you're homophobe transphobic a- any other word they want to use on you it's yeah, always but- it's always their fault they never take responsibility yeah, it's always someone else's fault. Bob Iger and other Disney executives say their main goal is now quality over quantity. Bob <laughs> Iger says he was 
quote unquote disappointed in what I was seeing in the transition period while I was out when Bob Chapek was running Disney. Always blaming Bob Chapek for everything. Again, it's all never taking responsibility. Bob yeah. Iger says creators at Disney have lost sight of what their job should be. Entertainment first, not messages. He adds that stories infused with positive messages for the world can be great, but that it shouldn't be the primary job. And Bob, I got to say that is all bullshit. You were the five-star general leading the charge. We just mentioned here a few episodes ago that they wanted to quiet the noise when it came to the whole movement. And now he's saying this. And when and when they asked him about the Marvels, he says Bob Iger, Bob Iger blames the underperformance of the Marvels is on a large volume of content, made it difficult for executives to supervise. The Marvels were shot during COVID. There wasn't enough supervision on set, so we're still we're still using the COVID argument, huh? Yeah, to think that COVID was a problem three years ago and it hasn't been a problem in the last two years. Because you could theoretically say things were opening up in 2021. But in principle, what he said was correct. That's something we've been saying for a long time. That they've gotten away from quality and have been more focused on sending a message to the audience. And it's a message that nobody gives a shit to hear. It's just laughable that... It's the other Bob that's the issue, not this Bob. They're all bobbing for apples at this point. But point being is that I don't believe that they're going to change. They're not going to change. This is this is all words. It's going to go go in one ear, go out the other. And the fact that he said that lack of supervision, just what we need more more executives being in charge, being on these movie studios, and fucking changing everything. To uh, the last minute, and w- what do you mean by lack of supervision? Because that basically tells me that the people you hire to run your movies don't know what the f they're doing. Nick DaCosta, who was the director of the Marvels, do you know what she's done? Do you know what her resume was prior to that movie? No. Candyman. Candyman, the remake. Yes. The, re- the remake, the sequel, whatever the hell you want to call it. That was her only cr- uh, credential heading into the Marvels. Her only major film credential. A film that was made of a budget of about $22 million and brought back $77. Not a, not a major flop, but at the same time, not a major hit neither. It didn't even hit the $100 million mark. So they the student made very little money back from that film, if anything. So imagine taking a director like that. Let's put her in charge of a $250 million plus dollar movie. Hmm. Why did they give her that job? One reason. Woman. Woman. And she's black. Yeah, but... What is a woman? I mean, at this point, genders could be freaking swapped at any point in time. And nobody even seems to answer the basic jest of what a woman is. You ask a basic question like that, and and all of a sudden people's brains melt. It's the brains melt because they're so goddamn stupid they can't even define you what a woman is when they sit here and say that women should get equal opportunity and equal rights. Or it's all purposeful because they know that the answer to their question would completely contradict their whole entire viewpoint. 
But yeah, in the end, Bob Iger is a huge contributor to Disney's problem. Yeah, he's the guy. He is. When did Bob Iger take over Disney? Um, well, his first run, I believe, was in the late 2000s. Okay. Because he was responsible for Disney buying Pixar. He right. was Because uh, Steve Jobs did not want to sell Pixar. Bob Iger made that sell happen. He was able to convince Steve Jobs to sell to him. Or okay. sell to Disney. He yeah. was also responsible for the purchase of Marvel and Lucasfilm. Because I was going to say, Steve Jobs passed away in 2011. So, I was... Thinking you were going to say they waited until Steve Jobs died and then. <laughs> um, so yeah. he stepped down actually when the pandemic started. Bob Iger. So, okay. in- but before you continue, all mm-hmm. right, so he stepped down during the pandemic. So that means that he was in charge when they brought back Star Wars and Star Wars bit the fucking bullet. By doing what they did with that franchise with uh, Force Awakens, La- uh, Last Jedi, and whatever the fucking last movie was called. Yeah, The Rise of Skywalker, some shit. The last Skywalker. So, so he is responsible, and those movies were pretty woke. Yeah, that's yeah. The 2016 was when the whole woke woke thing wokeness was entering into the film industry because of the old Me Too movement, Weinstein. Plus Trump winning the election, so all that, all those factors. Okay. All right. Continue. So he stepped down. Chapek takes over because I believe prior to that, Chapek was in charge of the theme park business for Disney. Okay. He comes in. He stays there for like another two. Stays there for two years, and he gets fired while he's at a John, Elton John concert. He got the news that he was fired, and they brought back uh, Bob Iger. Because everything was going to shit, and they figured, well, let's bring in Bob Iger because he brought us so much success. Hopefully, he could steer the ship in the right direction. And uh, that has not been working out too well because this is the 100th anniversary of Disney, and the only profit they made this year, not and not a big one at that, was Guardians Three. Disney has to worry now. Yes, because, because they can't keep losing money. Well, no, this is the point I was going to make. We just reviewed. The Winnie the Pooh horror movie. Because the Winnie the Pooh horror movie was made solely because of the fact that Winnie the Pooh now is public domain. Because the the expiration date just came up for how long it could be a protected property. Mickey Mouse, I think, next year is now going to be public domain. That That is their bread and butter. That is their main icon. So what does it mean for Disney when anybody can use Mickey Mouse now? It's no longer going to be exclusive to them anymore. And they've gone to the to the well to where, oh, we'll just rely on this, 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 this. But they've already soiled a lot of their franchises. But the one thing you'll always count on on Disney is Mickey Mouse. And now next year, he's no longer going to be their exclusive property. So what does it say for Disney when they're going to lose the most iconic? It, it would be like if Nintendo no longer had Mario as their exclusive guy. So they really fucked themselves in the ass on this one. I mean, they've they race swapped, they gender swap, and to a worse extent, you know, you got Snow White, and now you got Daily Wire that's doing their response with their own version of Snow White. 
to the point Disney, it felt like they were they had to rush like a photo of Snow White being surrounded by the seven dwarves just to kind of hopefully try to win some people back. I mean, could you imagine if the Daily Wire Snow White does better than Disney Snow White? I'm not saying it is because obviously da Daily Wire is a, is a much smaller scare compared to fucking Disney. So, but here's that's where we are right now. Here's the other problem though, because like they replaced it with dwarves. The problem is, is that Rachel Ziegler just keeps making herself super unlikable. She's constantly going into interviews, acting like a spoiled Gen Zer, and showing no appreciation for the role that she's got. That's where the main issue is. You can replace the dwarves. Well, first off, you already shat yourself in the fucking in the toilet already because we already complained that the the cast that you put on there are not dwarves they're regular people all right they're gonna go with regular people regular magical creatures or whatever the fuck they were called all right now you're gonna go back to dwarves uh, that's hollywood baby well now those fucking people are out of a job too i at least think they are because i don't know what's going they may have another part i don't know I really don't know because they pushed the whole movie back, so it, it ain't coming out for like another two or three years, or whatever, or whatever the fuck. So that I wouldn't be surprised they're gonna if they end up reshooting the whole movie. It wouldn't be the first time for Disney. I mean, they're doing that right now with the new Captain America movie. Yeah, and at this point, the movie may fly. Uh, the, the the dwarves part is a problem, but it's now become the least of the problem. The main problem is. The main person playing Snow White. She's just super unlikable. Yeah. That would that would be like if you did a Disney movie based on, let's say, Cinderella. And I think I may have the actress wrong, but I think you've criticized her in the past for being unlikable. But like a Jennifer Lawrence plays that role. Cinderella is supposed to be a likable person. You're supposed to resonate with her, whether male or female. I mean, obviously, the females will resonate more with her or want to resonate with her more. But if you pick an actress that's super unlikable to play that role, and then she's going into interviews showing that unlikable nature, you're not going to want to go see that movie. And Rachel Ziegler has shown that she's a very unlikable person. She would serve better as the fucking witch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, I don't At this rate... Disney is their own fucking worst enemy. They slept the, in the bed with these people that are making them go ahead and spread these messages. So now if they're in bed with these people and now Bob Iger, let's just say his intentions are 100% accurate and we need to go back to quality and all that. How are you going to do that? Oh, I know how. We're going to bring back Robert Downey Jr. and the original Avengers because that's literally all Marvel has left in their playbook. And when you bring him back, are you going to bring him back and his character is going to be an old, decrepit man who can't do shit and then a female Iron Woman is going to come along and take his place? That sounds like something they would do. Oh. They, would, they will sacrifice all their legacy characters to the message. Well, that's the problem. It's not even so much that Han Solo and Luke Skywalker all got killed off. They desecrated those characters and brought in these new ones and said you have to like these forget these old ones there wasn't a passing of the torch moment 
Bullshit, man. Come on. I'm the passing of the whip. Yeah, Disney is in a huge crisis right now. They don't know what to do. They don't, I mean, Bob Iger says quality over quantity. I mean, right now, these are just words. Actions speak louder than words. We're going to see what's going to happen in the next couple of years because there's only one MCU movie coming out, coming out next year, and that's Deadpool 3. And right now, the, a lot is weighing in on that movie because that's that movie's going to really kind of set the uh, stage of what the future is going to look like for the whole Marvel Universe. Yeah, and they better hope that they don't overwoke that movie because we already know that Deadpool is not a woke character. No, he's not. He's not. I mean, it's supposed to be an R-rated movie. They got Hugh Jackman in. He's playing, uh, he's coming back as Wolverine. So, um, we're going to see what's going to happen with that. And that's just for Marvel. What about Lucasfilm? What about Pixar? What about their Walt Disney Animation Studios? Wish just uh, had a 79% drop. It's doing worse than Strange World did last year. And Strange World had all the wokeness to that movie. Yeah, because people have lost faith. These movies are not good. They're not good. They lost their their um, as you mentioned in the last episode. They lost their trust with the customer. No normal family American family is going to want to watch these movies. Yeah. Who's who's going to want to watch some angry, some angry, butch-looking feminist that's all in your face saying that you are an evil, reprehensible person because you represent old-school American values? Who the fuck is going to want? Or who's going to want to watch somebody telling them that you're an evil oppressor because you've got white privilege? It's ridiculous. It is. Yeah. Oh, I me- I know we mentioned Doctor Who in our last episode. I forgot to mention to you that Walt Disney, the Disney company, had had involvement in that. Gee, what a surprise. And uh, yeah. it's, it's also been noted that they did send in notes to the Doctor Who people since they co-financed it and I know it's on there at Disney Plus. So, what a surprise in that, you know, that, that, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's, I mean, be, I mean, that show was already woke prior to Disney getting involved. But, I mean, that really, they really made it too obvious. Yeah. Again, I'll believe it when I see it, but even if, even if Disney can turn itself around, it would have to be so goddamn impressive. Impressive, and it, it's going to take years. Probably, yeah, because, again, it's one thing to take the messaging out, but now the quality also has to be there. And you have to bring in quality similar to what you were doing in the 30s and the 90s when you were at your peak. Yeah, yeah they're going to have to – They have, it's going to take them a long time to do that because I feel like, as again – this is fucking Disney. This was a company that would hire literally the best animators in the world to work for them. I mean, that was a dream job. Your animator. I want to work for Walt Disney. I want to work for the Disney company. I want to, you know, I want to make these kind of, I want to make the Lion King. Those are the projects. A little mermaid. Those are the projects you want to do. You want to be part of, you want to be part of that brand, be part of that legacy. Now it's like, I mean, they still have their history, but you know, you want to go back to that. That's what, that's what Disney has to do. Look what happened to Target. Look what happened to Bud Light. I mean, look Damn. at what those companies are going to have to do to try to get their customers, their audience back. And it's going to take time because, again, once you, I feel like once you go down this road, it's going to be very hard, if ever, to come back from it. 
And to think that the one thing that these companies won't do, and this is something I just sat here and just fucking lost my mind over because we said cancel culture is a very uh, no second chance, no uh, very low tolerance for anybody making mistakes. Actually, no tolerance for any mistake whatsoever. The one thing that they won't do is apologize. Because if they do apologize and their own people, their own progressive left will eat them. Because that's what they all do. They eat each other. That's... You just you just can't you just can't fix these people. They're set on their ways. And that's the thing. When you're friends with these types of people and you join in on the freaking cancel culture brigade, just keep in mind that you're just one tiny little misconstrued mistake away. From them devouring you because they'll eat their own. Yeah, because it's like you're walking on eggshells, which I don't like doing. Well, that's enough. Let's. I mean, come on. We gotta get a Christmas spirit here, Monoxide. We got a Christmas movie to review. Fucking Disney pissing us off. Yeah, of course. But what? What? What else is new? What else is new? It's just another. <laughs> seems to be another day with them at this point. Sure. But let's talk about. Black Christmas. Black. We're talking about the 2006 remake of Black Christmas. On Christmas Eve, an escaped maniac returns to his childhood home, which is now a sorority house, and begins to murder the sorority sisters one by one. Written and directed by Glenn Morgan, it stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Michelle Trattenberg. I hope I said that last name right. And the star Katie Cassidy. And of course, Andrea Martin returning to uh, Black Christmas after starring the original film as uh, Phyllis. Yeah, it was seeing a lot of familiar faces. You have one girl that I remember seeing in Final Destination 3. Then you have Michelle Chattenberg, who we remember from uh, Harriet the Spy growing up, and she was also in Euro Trip. And then seeing uh, uh, Lacey Shabert, am I saying her name right? Uh, Shabert. Um, Face-wise, I don't remember her, but she was one of the voices in Wild Thornberry. So, ah. yeah, seeing a lot of familiar faces, that was quite interesting. But And the, and the one girl that was puking! She's got a puke! She was in Found Destination as well. I think you just said that. No, I don't think it was the girl. The, the, the girl that I'm thinking about was the one that was all freaked out. She was the, the Chucky Finster of the whole group. Oh my god, I'm so scared. She was in the third one. She was the one that was scared of going on the roller coaster. Now the one that oh, was yeah, Mary, Mary Elizabeth, yeah, and the one and the other and the one the drunker. She was in the third one as well. She got burned in the tanning bed. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And um, and funny enough, Glenn Morgan is a producer of those movies. Interesting. And not only that, they came those two movies, Final Destination three, and this came out around the same time. Yeah, would you like to take a guess what they all have in common? What country they were filled in? Oh, does it have a maple leaf on the flag? Yes, sir. Of course. Yeah. And, and the uh, the one actress, uh, I guess the older sister that later came in looking for Claire. Claire. She was in the first movie, the first Final Destination, in the house. Interesting. She was, she was the teacher. Yes, I, I remember what character that was. I knew she looked familiar. So, yeah, we got a lot of... Uh, Final Destination actresses, all pretty girls. A lot of pretty girls in this movie. And of course, the film had to be filmed in the same country that Bret Hart was screwed in. Yes. 
Came out the same year he got inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Correct. 2006. I'm just wondering, why did we, well, why did you choose this film over the original for us to review? Because we already saw the original. Did we? I. Oh, yeah, we did. That's right. We did. We yeah, you, so... were, you weren't crazy about it. That's right. Okay. I do recall we watched the original and I did not. I, that was the one where the kill really wasn't revealed, right? No. Remember, I kept. They, they, they did a lot of POV shots of him like walking in. It was, you know, something that popular copy. Right. Okay. I We've done so many episodes that all these movies start to blend in together. Right. Okay. Well, originally we were supposed to do another film in place of this, but Shudder literally. The day after you watched it, took it off. Yes. Yeah, the film I'm talking about is Deadly Games, Dal Coat Santa Claus, or Game Over. The film has several titles to it. But um, I was very disappointed because I was really looking forward to doing that review with you, and you haven't seen it. And then the day, which was earlier today, you were going to watch it, you kept messaging me, it's not on here. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's got to be on there. It's been on here the whole effing time. Why would it not be there? And son of a bitch, it's not there. Yeah. Bastards. So I figure ah, I'll go with Plan B because Black Christmas was on was on the list of Christmas films for this month. So we'll just have to um, we'll find another Christmas horror to review. I know I got another one up my sleeve, but I guess we get a head start. So we got the 2006 Black Christmas, and uh, I first seen this film when it came out. I get one on DVD. I can't believe this movie is almost 20 years old. Shit. Yeah. And it's interesting seeing some of these actresses such a young age, specifically Michelle Trattenberg, because, yeah, we remember her from Harriet the Spy as a kid. Yeah, she's done, um, I know she's done a lot of Nickelodeon shows. She had a recurring role on Pete and Pete. I know she did the Inspector Gadget movie. Uh, She did Ice Princess. She was, she, unfortunately, she never really made it big. As far as I know, she hasn't had a career where once she became an adult she became a fucking train wreck like lindsay lohan and or amanda Bynes. so yeah, the, yeah at least bless- she never went down that route yeah the blessing is and i'm knocking on wood she seems to have lo- lived a relatively decent existence but this film that we're reviewing i don't know what to make of this um well, one of so, the companies behind the film is 2929 Productions, which is co-owned by Mark Cuban, which explains his producer credit. So, the best way to, to, to explain the film's premise is because in the first, I would say, third of the film, there's a lot of back and forth between what's going on in present time and flashbacks to where how we got to where we are so we'll just talk about the past first and then we'll talk about what's going on in the present time because it's all like constant back and forth so the killers at hand is a guy by the name of billy lex who was born with a rare liver disease that makes him look yellow now when i say this that people are going to interpret that as racist because Asians. <laughs> but no, th- this is a white man that just happens to have yellow skin. He, he looks like a, out of uh, what was that one orange character from Sin City? 
Oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it wasn't, I thought it was yellow as well, but he turned yellow because of being shot in the dick or some shit in the early scene. That was the same kid that uh, was in that one movie that we reviewed where he becomes warped into the town. I forgot the name of it was. It was where uh, a bunch of Noir Duels become like upstanding gentlemen, but they become mind warped. That was the same actor, I forget. Anyways, but Billy Lenz has a weird liver disease, and the father is okay with him, obviously, but the mother just hates his existence. And they show this periodically throughout the years. Now, there's one point in particular where when he's like a child, the mother uh, tells him that Santa doesn't exists she's just like belittling him and the father says there's a present upstairs for you from santa so uh what you call kid goes upstairs opens it up and it's like one of those little uh kaleidoscopes or whatever or, or telescopes that you can see because i guess he was into uh astrology and whatever looking into space but while all that's going on the mother's boyfriend shows up and there's a big scuffle and his biological father who's the one that did give a shit about him gets killed by the boyfriend and the mother they kill his biological dad then they fast forward a couple bit and like i said i'm going through the past first then they fast forward a little bit and they show that she's having sex with this man that she's now married to and he falls asleep while she's fucking him. Yeah, he's like, she's like, oh, again. Again, <laughs> again. I guess this is his MO. And then goes to her son, who's 12 or 13 at the time, and has sex with him, and nine months later gives birth to the child that they name uh -huh. Agnes. Ah. Uh, this was... Why? Incest. Incest. And then years later, when... Billy Lenz is like 21 eventually he snaps eats the eye of Agnes and then eventually kills the mother and the stepfather so I think he snapped when he looked at a telescope and saw like that family across the street being happy he was like That's yeah, realizing that he was living a miserable existence yeah, and now, so was he trapped in the attic or did he just choose to stay up there uh, I think it was a mental thing that he thought he was trapped up there. He probably could have escaped at any point, but I think it's like one one of those mental things. But anyways, he finally snapped, killed the parents. He ends up in jail and or in a mental facility, and so does Agnes. Agnes obviously goes to a mental facility because she's eyeless now, at least in one eye, and then gets discharged but goes missing. So that's where we are. So the house that they resided in becomes a sorority house, as you said. And these women, some of which are very young and some of them are middle-aged, a couple of them are middle-aged, they are having this big Christmas get-together and they're actually celebrating Christmas by getting Billy gifts. So they're getting Billy gifts to, to ward off the spirits or whatever the fuck. Meanwhile, it's hailing outside. There's very bad weather. 
And most of the characters are pretty forgettable for the most part. You don't even remember their names. Uh, but all that's going on, Billy's locked in a mental asylum. There's a Santa Claus that's walking around ho-ho-hoing. And here's about the legend of Billy Lands. And eventually, to make a long story short, Billy Lands is able to escape his prison cell and kills the guy who's dressed up as Santa and kills the guard and is able to escape. And in the house, there's another girl who's in her room and Billy or somebody kills her. But you're not really sure that's Billy Lands because he's in the prison somewhere. So you wonder who the fuck that is. I'll just spoil it for you, ladies and gentlemen. It's actually Agnes. Yes. So apparently Agnes and Billy Lands are working together for some odd. Why Agnes would want to work with the guy, even though it's his, it's her brother and father all at the same time, and that same person ate her eye, whatever. So they're having this big Christmas get together. One woman gets drunk. One woman's fucking scared out of her mind of the place. Everybody else is celebrating. And eventually, they, we see this one girl named Edna who acts a little bit weird. This and the other. Who cares? Um, eventually, how the fuck did we get to the next point? Um, there was the boyfriend date. There was a little subplot with the boyfriend, Kyle. He's dating the main girl, uh, Katie Cassidy, the blonde, the blondie. But uh, it's later revealed that um, he's basically cheating on her with another girl, Claire, who was the first girl who got killed in the opening scene of the movie. Yeah. And, um, he likes to record himself having sex with her, and it was on her computer. And, of course, conveniently, once they go in there looking for her, Katie Cassidy, I'm calling her by the actress name, so I don't know her character name. Sees that, kicks him, kicks Kyle out of the house, and then we don't see Kyle for like the almost. He doesn't really come in until like the last act, or at least the ending of the second act, heading to the third act of the film. And then yeah. really one by one, all the girls get killed off. Again, the girls they're just there really just get killed. Um, yeah. Some of the deaths are a little bit weird because uh, there's a point where they try to call the police and the police say it's going to be two hours before we can get there because of the bad weather um the power's out and so two of the girls try to leave via the car they get the car going but one of the killers is inside it i think it was billy yeah billy's the one that kills the scaredy cat girl and the other girl tries to escape but a icicle like goes through her freaking eye or whatever and we see that Edna was decapitated. Um, Michelle Trattenberg. There's one point where Agnes is trying to go after her and and Michelle Trattenberg smashes her repeatedly with uh, some weapon. And instead of just constantly beating her with it until she knows that the person's dead, she stops hitting her so she can try to escape. And of course, Agnes throws something at her and kills her. He throws a skate, a skate blade. That conveniently is able to cut her whole head off. Okay, cool. Yeah, funny enough, because a year prior to that, she did a film called Ice Princess, where she plays a figure skater. Interesting. So, Disney movie. And then there's a point where Kyle comes back. He gets killed off. The only people that make it out of the house alive are the blonde girl, the 
would you say Christy or whatever, and the woman <laughs> Christy and the sister of Claire, because there was one point where they were able to put the house on fire because they uh, the bongo was caught in between the the walls, and both Agnes and Billy are trying to go after her, and they somehow escape, and it looked like the house got consumed on fire, and both Agnes and Billy were killed. Now, I'm thinking this movie's over, right? I'm thinking, okay, that's a pretty decent way to end the film, and maybe there's going to be, like, a little cliffhanger. No, there was still, like, 15 minutes left. I'm saying to myself, yo, for a movie that's 90 minutes, this movie felt forever. It felt like two and a half hours. This movie dragged beyond belief. And then, of course, somehow Billy and Agnes freed themselves, killing a couple of hospital people. They killed Claire's sister. And somehow, what's-her-face, uh, the blonde girl was able to kill Agnes by taking the, the meter that uh, pumps your heart, puts it on her face, killing her, and then she uh, throws Billy off a ledge that puts him through a tree. And meanwhile, all this scuffle is going on, and nobody seems to hear it, but... And the movie just abruptly ends after he gets through, put through the tree. Everybody just looks at the body and then boom, ends. You hear a little screaming and then that's enough. Roll the credits. It was almost as abrupt as the, um, what was that one movie we reviewed? Uh, American Werewolf in London. I felt <laughs> like the biggest problem with the movie is just it ended abruptly. There was no right subtle. We're out of time on Monday Nitro. Yeah, seriously. Or it felt like the ending of that one Raw where Bret Hart was, like, dressing down Shawn Michaels and it was supposed to end with Shawn Michaels super kicking him, but they ran out of time, so it's just Bret Hart just chewing his ass out. Yeah. I don't know. I thought there were elements that they did right that I think horror movies should do, which is they build it up and build it up and build it up, and then they wait until maybe the 50-minute mark where the real horror really begins, the big chase. I felt like that was the right way to go. And some of the backstory of explaining Billy and Agnes was fine. The problem was, execution-wise, the film dragged. None of the characters that were in the current landscape, the ones that we're supposed to care for, the, the people that are going to run for their lives, none of them mattered. It felt like this movie was just one big clusterfuck by the end of it. And then the fact that they had an out to end the movie where the house burned down and you got the doctor looking at the bodies and maybe it's going to end on a cliff note where the bodies are not dead. But then you find out there's more time to this movie than there was before. It just... It was kind of like how I say a wrestling match is where it passed the peak. This movie definitely passed the peak when the killers started going off in the hospital. How did they find them in those in their rooms so damn quick? It's actually a very small hospital. And then, not to mention, what is Billy's beef with the people in the house per se? It's like his only the only person that was really a prick to him was the mother and the stepfather, and he already took care of them. Yeah, he already got his revenge. Story over. That's it. (laughs) This is almost like Halloween Resurrection, where it's like, yeah, people are in Michael's house, but what beef does Michael have with these people? He already killed his sister. Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, at least with the original, when it was just Billy, none of that was ever really explained. It was just a serial killer who's just living in this sorority house, just killing off these girls one by one. And I know the director, Glenn, had a lot of issues with the studio. He was clashing a lot with, um, uh, not Harvey, but Bob Weinstein. Bob mm-hmm. wanted more gore, and Glenn didn't want to have as much gore because he wanted this his remake to be more of a love letter to Bob Clark, who was the director of the original film. He was also a producer of this film. Um, but I like, cause I know like with the Michelle Trattenberg's death, the Bob wanted her, wanted the killer to put the bag over her head, rip her eye out and drag her through the hallway by her eyeball while, you know, while Michelle's still screaming and and it was like, oh, come on. I don't want this to be a freaking gore fest. And the movie itself had gore, but that, that wasn't the main issue. The main issue was that it just didn't feel like it was evenly paced. It felt yeah. like there was a point where I looked at my phone because we were watching this on the phone. And I said to myself, we must be like an hour and five hour, ten minutes in. No, we were only like 40 minutes into this film and we still had another 50 to go. I was like, what the fuck? I thought this movie, we were already a good chunk in, and then it just, when we finally got to the ending sequence in the house, I'm saying to myself, okay, this is how we end it. Now they're going to be in the hospital, and then we're going to get a conclusion there. And then there was still more. It's just like, yo, just what's with the pacing of this film? And they never really explained, uh, hold on. There's the other part that didn't make sense to me was, Billy ended up with burn scars. Why didn't Agnes? Um, I think it's probably because Agnes was fell all the way downstairs to the floor. But didn't the house get burnt to a crisp? I would think so. I mean, unless they put it out, it was never it was never really clarified. No, that the person who played Agnes. Keep in mind, Agnes is supposed to be the, yes, it's played, it's played by a guy. Yes. Well, that wasn't the issue. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that is an issue, but not the issue I was going for. Agnes is supposed to be the daughter slash sister of Billy, who's younger, obviously. But the person that played Agnes looked older than Billy. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you're blind as a fucking bat. You're like, is Agnes older? Who knows? I don't. And this film was intriguing when I was watching it because I completely forgot we did watch the original. I won't lie there. But the way they had it set up and the way they had a backstory and the way they were going back and forth and the fact that the real horror chase wasn't being done until the 50-minute mark, I was fine with. But... There wasn't enough good pacing in this film, and the characters weren't rememberable enough for me to give a shit about it. So, by the time the film was over, I was just like, God, for a movie that was 90 minutes, that felt like an eternity. Yeah. Um, any uh, yeah, any uh, death scenes that stand out to you in this? I mean... Eh? Eh. Not really... Like, I think the only one that I kind of liked, I think, was kind of it was cheesy, but in a can in a fun campy way, was the uh, icicle through the head. 
Yeah, but that was an accidental death. It wasn't even like they committed it. Yeah. It was like, it's similar to when we review Jason X, and when Jason becomes Uber Jason, he's supposed to be this powerful being, and yet Uber Jason didn't even end up killing anybody. Everyone killed themselves. Uh, this film didn't work for me, brother. Yeah, you know, I thought I would enjoy, enjoy this a lot more, I guess, because it's been such a long time since I've last seen it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is really not good. Because that's a pretty low uh, score on IMDb. I figure, ah, okay. I mean, I can see why a lot of people didn't like it. After watching, I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of on that same boat with them. I thought this would have, like, a it's so bad it's camp, it's good. And it can't be cheesy kind of way. But no, it didn't have that. I mean, at least it felt like a Christmas horror film. I mean, the lighting in this was kind of good, I guess. If that's, if was, if that's anything positive about it, but... I mean, I, they had, they had a lot of pretty girls. <laughs> heading in, like, when we were watching, I'm like, this, I was liking it so far. But then yeah, when I, I, re- I actually liked the backstory. I thought that was the best part. But the fact that we got 40 minutes in, I'm thinking we're almost done. And then we're not even close to done. And then the part that we're not close to done was not good. It really made the film pretty unwatchable. So, yeah, no bueno, no bueno. So yeah, Agnes and Billy, like, did they ever see each other again after their parents got killed? Like, did they say, hey, let's meet up here in 2006, Christmas Eve. I'll find a way to escape. Don't worry about me. I got that figured out. And meet me there, okay? Hey, I'm still mad at you, Dad slash brother, for ripping my eye out at Christmas of '91. You son of a bitch! And if so, how are they able to communicate with each other, especially since one is locked in a cell and the other person's just hiding in that house? Yeah, and how long was Agnes hiding in that house? Apparently, since the day that she was discharged, or he, or it, or shit, or whatever. Fuck. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm actually going to have to say skip this one. Yeah. No bueno. Yeah, no bueno. This is not good. Not not good at all. Uh, I know the director, Glenn Morg, was dissatisfied with the final uh, film. He hasn't directed a movie since because he said if this film would fail, I would give up directing, just stick to producing. And he is a man of his word. He's... Only thing he's directed after that, I think, was like three episodes of like the X Files. Mm. That's that. And the only other film he directed was the remake of uh, Willard with uh, Crispin Glover back in '03. So he has a total of five director uh, directing credits to his name. Three of those being episodes of the X Files. Yeah. Well, this, like I said, if, if this was his best shot, then yeah. He should quit directing. So this was no good. The pacing was just terrible. Yeah, Bob Clark was was trying to direct a wanted to make a direct sequel to the, his original 1974 film, but he passed away, and that never got off the ground. Maybe it's for the best, because again, a sequel, unless you add more depth to 
the Black Christmas that he had prior, which didn't have much depth to at least the killer. Yeah. You're going to have to do it a little bit more precise around the time. It, you can't do it like so many years later. Yeah, as I mentioned, there's really not much else to say about this one. Um, we reviewed the original, we reviewed 2006. Uh, there is one more remake of it that came out in 2019. For real? There is a, there is another Black Christmas, yes. Jesus Christ. Oh, my. We'll get to it. I Probably not this year. <laughs> Thank God. We'll probably save that for next year. It's like every year we'll, we'll do a new Black Christmas. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Please, dear God. Is there is there a, a, a red Christmas, a blue Christmas? Well, Elvis, yeah, we're... Elvis did Blue Christmas. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> it's most. So, um, well, on our next episode, we're gonna review an anthology film, a Christmas horror story. Okay. Another film that was shot in our favorite country, the Maple Leaf, and this one was actually surprisingly good. But I'll, that's all I'll say for now. I'll get your thoughts on it on our next episode so that's going to do it for this one overall we both say skip the 2006 Black Christmas for sure yeah with that said from Monoxide I'm Terminator Travis what was the big line in the movie this was a family <laughs> maybe we'll take a line from Christian yeah father <laughs>